Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. That is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. I am Sandra Flack. Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. I'm so excited because we have returning guest with us today, um, Dr. Jared Brown. Uh, I did uh, multiple episodes with him back in 2022 and 2023. So hopefully you've checked those out. Um, So we're going to have a great conversation with him today. Um, I do want to apologize at the beginning that I am um, getting over a cold and my voice just sounds terrible. And sometimes I cough. So I'm hoping that there will be no coughing today. So I'll try to stay hydrated um, and let Dr. Brown do most of the talking. But before we get to all of that, I do want to let you know about some FASD resources that we have available for parents and caregivers and professionals. Um, FASD, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, is a spectrum of disorders that affect people who were exposed to alcohol in the womb, uh, which affects Um, a significant number of children in foster and adoptive placements. And myself, as an adoptive mom of two teens with fetal alcohol syndrome, I know how difficult this parenting journey can be, Um, but you're not alone. And it can feel isolating because like with trauma, we don't um, find too many people who get it, who understand it, unless you're living it. Um, And FASD is definitely the case um, as well. So um, we've got a whole support system and resources for you. If you are parenting kiddos who were prenatally exposed to alcohol, whether they were diagnosed or not, maybe you just suspect, maybe you don't even know what that is and you need to learn more. We've got some great resources uh, for you, starting with this. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D. And in addition to our online support group, I offer coaching, one-on-one coaching sessions for parents and caregivers, um, along with in-person and online training, um, which I offer for 
uh, families and support groups, as well as agencies and other uh, organizations, uh, adoptive and foster parent organizations um, have had great opportunities to, to provide FASD training there, um, as well as online uh, and in-person uh, workshops. And I have an online workshop coming up very soon. Um, this uh, My free lunch and learn, we call it a lunch and learn. It's an introduction to FASD. The next one, I offer these monthly. Um, the next one will be available Wednesday, March 20th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, again, it's free. It's um, 60 minutes. We end up going to almost 90 minutes. Honestly, if Q&A is great, we stay on a little bit longer. Um, but roughly, it's it's a 60 to 90 minutes. Um, it's perfect for parents and caregivers who may be just wanting to learn about FASD. It's something kind of new to them. They want to know more. Um, but also, uh, if you do know that this is what you're dealing with, your kiddos have a diagnosis, or maybe they're not formally diagnosed, but you know that that's what's going on, but you do want other people in your kids' lives to know about FASD and understand your kids better. So it's great for grandparents, babysitters, uh, your kiddos, adult siblings, youth group leaders, Sunday school teachers, school staff, bus drivers, Anybody who is a part of your kiddo's life who interacts with them, who may need to have a better understanding of their behavioral symptoms, our, our lunch and learn intro um, is a great way for them to learn. And again, like I said, it's free uh, to register for any of our FASD workshops or to find out more about the coaching or the support group. Um, just go to our website, justicefororphansny.org um, and click on the training tab at the top of the page. You'll see FASD in the drop-down box and you click there and it'll take you to all of our FASD resources. And of course, there is a link to our website in the show notes for this episode. You can scroll down to the bottom of the show notes and find that. Um, so that's a great way to find those resources. Also, we consider this podcast a vital resource for adoptive and foster parents and caregivers. Um, so if you would subscribe, like it, follow it, all of those things, whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on, um, or maybe you're watching the YouTube video version of this podcast. Um, when you do those things, when you leave a review and like or subscribe, um, it helps other families on this parenting journey find this podcast when they're searching for resources. So I hope that you will do that as well. So now to our conversation with Dr. Jared Brown, and I'm going to read his uh, bio, it's like his resume. It's extensive. It's long. He's smart. He's got all the degrees. Um, so let me give you an update here on Dr. Jared Brown, PhD. Um, he has a master's of arts and oh, just three MS masters of science degrees. He is a professor, a trainer, a researcher, a consultant with multiple years of experience teaching collegiate courses. Jared is also the founder and CEO of the American Institute for the Advancement of Forensic Studies. Uh, he has provided consultation services to a number of caregivers, professionals, and organizations pertaining to topics related to autism spectrum disorder, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, confabulation, suggestibility, trauma, and other life adversities, alexithymia, 
executive function, criminal recidivism, traumatic brain injury, and youth fire setting. All those big, big things. Jared has completed four separate master's degree programs and holds graduate certificates in neuroscience and the law, neuropsychology, autism spectrum disorder, other health disabilities, and traumatic brain injuries. In 2021, Jared completed a postdoctoral certificate in leadership and organizational strategy from Walden University and a professional certificate in forensic psychology from San Diego State University's global campus. In 2023, Jared completed a diabetes care and education certificate from Central Arizona College. Currently, Jared is pursuing his fifth master's degree in applied clinical nutrition from Northeast College of Health Sciences. Jared has also conducted over 200 workshops and webinars and on-demand trainings for various organizations and professional and student audiences. Jared has published several articles and book chapters and recently co-edited the book, Forensic Mental Health, a Source Guide for Professionals with Irv Weinkoff. Jared has also been quoted in various magazines, newspapers, and other professional outlets. He's also regularly featured on several national and international podcast programs like this one. Clearly, he knows all of the things about all of the things, and I am super excited to have him back on the show. Please welcome back Dr. Jared Brown. Hey, Jared, welcome back. Hey, Sandra. It's great to see you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here um, with you again. Um, I, I know I let our listeners know earlier that you and I did a number of um, special episodes covering all kinds of topics. I think we, gosh, there was several throughout 2022, 2023. Uh, yeah, so we're grateful to have you back. Yeah, no, thanks. I'm always glad to do it. So I know we're going to be talking about a topic that might be unfamiliar to a lot of people, but we all need to know about it because it's so prevalent in the kids and adults with neurodevelopmental disorders. Yeah, I can't wait to dive into that. But before we do, um, I know the last time we chatted, you and your wife were fostering a baby. Any updates on that? Yeah, she's still with us. Thank oh, goodness. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. So precious and yeah, a little over a year now. Oh, great. Yeah wonderful experience definitely yeah. has made me a better person Aww. on so many levels yeah i can relate i can relate so let's dive into our topic this is pretty intriguing to me it is gut brain health axis dysfunction why foster and adoptive parents need to be informed so i think the place to start really is for um you to explain exactly what is gut brain health axis dysfunction so if you have a child who has a mental health disorder, they have something not working properly with the gut, the research says. If somebody has had a ton of trauma in their life, that's been linked with more gut health issues. So if this was a one minute presentation, I would say if you were wanting to understand complex human behavior, you got to understand the gut because if the gut is off, the brain's off. They communicate with one another. So the gut brain health access 
is kind of a biochemical, bidirectional signaling pathway. So the brain communicates with the gut, the gut communicates with the brain. And part of the gut-brain health access is the central nervous system, the autonomic nervous system, the HPA access, which I think we did a recording on that together. Yeah all kinds of hormones and all kinds of other things. And people are shocked to learn this. If you've never heard of this topic, our gut has its own nervous system. It's called the enteretic nervous system. Mm -hmm. Most of our immunity is found in the gut. So if you want to get healthier, optimize your gut. Half of dopamine is produced in the gut or more. Serotonin, the bulk of it is produced in the gut. And we know how important that is to mood and energy, and it plays a role in depression, anxiety, and sleep. So again, if the gut is off, that influences behavior, the way we think, uh, on all kinds of other topics. So that's kind of a broad overview of what the gut-brain health access is. Wow, so fascinating. Jared, what would be, if the gut is off, what would, well, I guess this is a two-part question. What would make the gut be off, first of all? And then when the gut is off, what are the symptoms that we could see that would indicate that's the case? Yeah, the gut can be off by what we eat. So if someone has an over-reliance on processed foods, gas station food, fast food. If you look at the label of your food and you can't pronounce the majority mm -hmm. of the ingredients, Diet, what you put into your mouth plays a huge role in influencing the gut. How you live your life. If you are someone that's go, 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 you skip meals, you're pounding down coffee, energy drinks, sugar-sweetened beverages, you're under a lot of stress, that all wreaks havoc on the gut. Where you live has a lot to do with this. There's actually studies that talk about your housing condition plays a role. So if you're someone that lives in a very chaotic household, it's a crowded household, there's noise constantly, you can't get any sleep, what goes on in the household plays a huge role. Who your friends are have a lot to do with our gut. If you're around people that love you, care for you, respect you, value you, treat you with kindness, you probably have a better functioning gut. If you're around people who are not too nice to you and yelling and screaming and put you down and belittle you, all that impacts the gut. If you, in your lifetime, have had a lot of antibiotics, tons of research shows that can impact the gut. Those are a few things. I mean, there's, a, there's so many studies on this. Out of all the topics we've done together, Sandra, I think this is the topic that probably has the most research behind it in terms of all the studies that have looked at different facets of this. So anything traumatic, if you live an unhealthy lifestyle, if you don't sleep that well, if you're on your gadgets late into the evening, all of those things impact the gut. So again, if the gut is off, what, what can that look like? So you ask the question kind of how it can present irritability, anxiety, worry, depression, 
mood control problems. Now, I'm not saying every child that has a imbalance in their mood, the gut's off, but I would think the bulk of them are. So if you have a child or an adult or teenager that has a lot of unexplained behavioral problems, has anyone ever looked into the fact is their gut off as well? Because if you really want to get behavior under control, where do you start? Get good sleep, look at what you eat, and optimize your gut functioning. Those would be the three starting points, in my opinion. And again, working with your doctor, of course. Numerous populations have been studied within this context. If you are someone that has type 2 diabetes, the gut's probably off, the research says. If you're obese, your gut's off. If you have a lot of allergies or asthma, the gut is off. If someone is living in poverty and homelessness and dealing with a lot of health inequities and disparities and stigma, all of those things are traumatic and traumas. The gut's off. Out of all the disorders that we've talked about over the last year, year and a half together, I would say just, I could be wrong on this, but everything I know to date looks like autism is where this has been studied the most. You will find numerous studies that talk about the gut is off in the overwhelming majority of folks who are on the autism spectrum. Some studies are showing ADHD. Emerging studies now are, are finally talking about this within the context of FASD. And I've been talking about this within the context of FASD for a decade now because I've consulted on enough cases where I just hear these same patterns over and over and over again. The individual complains of constipation, diarrhea, upset stomach. So most folks with FASD, at least the cases I've consulted on, the gut is off. And there's a lot of reasons for that that we can we can go much deeper in the weeds on, Sandra. Yeah, it's very it's fascinating. I know I know a mom whose biological daughter, um, you know, I think uh, is now ten, but um, a couple of years ago got an, um, an autism diagnosis and was having absent seizures, um, lots of things going on, <clears throat> and um, mom tends to be you know all natural organic um, anyway, so she's um, you know they do a diet of you know, no sugar, no gluten. They've removed a whole lot of things like that. They don't do processed foods or fast foods. Um, and when, when they maintain that the little girl does well and has no seizures. Um, but then when, you know, when they kind of veer off of it, have a cheat day or it's a holiday or a birthday, you know, you, you have to have some of those it's life. You want to have a little cheat day here and there. Um, but if they don't get back on it right away, um, they, they mom tends to notice there's some of those behaviors start start happening. So um, there's definitely a link and I find it to be fascinating. Um, what, so, so for us, you know, primarily, you know, our listeners are adoptive and foster parents. So we have children coming to us at all different ages and stages, all have experienced some form of trauma. Um, you know, some may have FASD, um, so what does this look like for, for children? Cause I know this, that's kind of what we were zeroing, zeroing in on why foster and adoptive parents need to understand this. Well, first and foremost, again, if that child enters into one of these systems 
it it's it is a trauma on some level they may be le leaving a really bad situation and coming into a great situation but the transition from one family to another can be traumatic so again trauma look at this through a trauma lens or attachment lens if that child's had a ton of trauma in utero or early on in childhood and they have fractured attachment patterns that already sets them up for more behavioral problems and more gut health issues so mm -hmm. as part of a comprehensive kind of support plan intervention plan maybe the family's working with an attachment-based therapist which is awesome and so important but how often is the adoptive or foster family also working with providers who truly understand the gut and the connection between the gut and the mood and doing interventions that can optimize the gut because therapy sensory therapy language what, whatever therapy equine the gut in my opinion and sleep are foundational that's kind of the building block because if the gut's off that's an indication the whole body is probably not working at optimal levels. So you want to get the body back into balance and homeostasis. If the gut is off, our hormones are off, our metabolism can be off, our mood's off, and the list goes on. We're just scratching the surface with all the moving parts that could be impacted by the gut. So hopefully in the years to come, the entire mental health arena therapists, social workers, psychologists will have extensive training related to the gut. They don't have it right now as far as I know, but when we talk about interventions, I'll introduce you to a term that is starting to emerge where it's really encouraging helping professionals to become gut brain health access informed because it's only going to help you treat depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, mood problems, trauma much more effectively and holistically yeah i was just thinking it's really a whole body situation here because the, the you know with our kids with with uh that have come in with trauma which all of our kids if they've come in through an adoptive or foster placement there's trauma on some level um you know and then and then there's the attachment all of that adjustment, all of that going on, the, the stress and anxiety that they've, that the child has been under <clears throat> in utero and then in childhood and then coming into a placement, all of that plays, you know, into it. And then just anxiety and depression, you can imagine the, you know, what's going on in the gut because of anxiety even. And then, um, you know, from a nutrition standpoint, what's going on, because you mentioned a lot of those environments where, you know, if our, if our children are coming in from an environment where there was mal malnourishment and neglect, or they're, you know, they're living in an impoverished community, um, all of that plays such a key role. It does. And think of the prenatal factors again, what was going on with mom during pregnancy, you'll find studies that talk about prenatal smoking exposure too can have an impact on the infant's developing gut lower socioeconomic status is talked about in this literature. Why might that be the case? Because that should be an indication that probably a little more stress going on in the family, maybe a little more worry. Could there be some malnutrition or food insecurity? You'll find studies on those topics within the context of the gut. What kind of medications was mom on during pregnancy? 
what was she eating during pregnancy? And what was the mode of delivery during pregnancy? You'll find several studies that talk about cesarean section versus vaginal birth. So, I mean, there are tens of thousands of research studies on this topic. And hopefully you're hearing themes that emerge frequently with kids who are adopted or in the child welfare arena that really point to the fact that probably a high percentage of these kids are dealing with some level of gut health dysfunction. A term I just want to alert you and your audience to when you think of gut dysfunction, when there's something off with the gut, you'd want to be aware of the term dysbiosis or gut dysbiosis. Basically, that means there's an alteration in the different kinds of chemical compounds and different things in the gut that are not working at optimal levels. So again, for example, you brought up the the individual the, the parent who has their child eat really healthy. If you deviate just one time, that can contribute to gut dysbiosis. But the nice thing is it can reverse that very quickly as well. So if you have a kind of a deviation and you go out to fast food one night and, and your gut's off, likely you can turn the ship around probably within 24 hours if you go back to the eating the healthy way. So th there's definitely all kinds of interventions we can do. And one other thing I just remembered that is talked about a lot in this literature too is circadian rhythms. If our circadian rhythms are off, that's also been linked with more gut health issues. So you as a parent, if you work a shift job, if you're up all night working and sleeping all day and you have a really erratic schedule, our circadian rhythms can be off, which that can adversely impact the gut as well. Um, Jared, one, can you spell, because I'm taking notes fever, feverishly, as I always do when we chat, but... Um dysbiosis. Can you spell that in case any of our listeners are thinking, oh, I want to go Google that. You bet. D is in dog. Y is in yellow. S is in Sam. B is in boy. I is in Ida. O is in ocean. S is in Sam. I is in Ida. And S is in Sam. You might like kind of like the non-scientific term, like leaky gut. I'm sure people have heard that leaky okay. gut syndrome. So again, if the, if we got pro, if we have prolonged dysbiosis, prolonged gut health issues, that should be an indication too, that our gut lining, the intestinal barrier is probably inflamed. And eventually that can wreak havoc on that protective liner. And then some of the kind of the, bad materials, the bad biochemical compounds, all of those things can kind of seep out into the other parts of the body, which can contribute to more chronic inflammation. And if we're dealing with chronic inflammation in the body, that is linked to all kinds of health issues, including more brain issues, problems with neuroplasticity. That'd be another term to look at. If you're looking for concrete interventions, Google neuroplasticity interventions. There's a lot of good stuff there too. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm always so fascinated because there's like everything affects the brain and in child development in, in, in utero. So as we're, as we're raising our children who already, you know, they have those adverse childhood experiences, um, just everything comes into play. So 
I always find it so fascinating when we have these conversations. Jared, um, you mentioned intervention. So we, you know, we, we can, you painted the picture of, you know, poor diet and all of those things. Um, so what can parents and caregivers do when we suspect that there is a, 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 gain, a, a brain gut health problem, diet's not good, all of this stuff is going on. What are some of those interventions? First and foremost, probably find providers who understand these topics. And the one term I was going to introduce you to where it looks like hopefully the field of like mental health psychology is gradually moving in that direction. Psycho gastro Enternology. If you Google that, psychogastroenterology. Basically, it's infusing what we're talking about in mental health psychology. So in some of the literature, it's talked about like gut-brain health access psychology. It's a component of health psychology where if someone had specialized training in this, it could be like a therapist, psychologist. They're utilizing brain gut-based psychotherapy interventions to combat behavioral and gut health issues together. And some of the practical strategies that are talked about is providing education. Maybe it's providing education to the foster care family about these topics because maybe this is the first time they've ever even heard about this. So alerting them to the terms, what it means, and then depending on the client's level of functioning and how old they are, of course, a lot of factors, providing them education. Because if we're more educated, we're more equipped, we're more empowered, maybe we're more likely to make some lifestyle changes. Focusing on behavioral modifications as well is a big component of this. Relaxation training is talked about in this literature. So therapists who use like relaxation strategies, you're not only helping that client probably include, improve their mood, but by default, you're probably helping them actually improve their overall gut health as well. Helping people improve psychological flexibility is an intervention that's talked about in this literature. When we've done those talks together previously on executive dysfunction, mm -hmm. we've talked about psychological inflexibility or cognitive inflexibility as being a executive dysfunction. So if you can help clients be more flexible on their thinking, less rumination, less fixation, and they're more adaptable, that's not only helping improve their brain and their mood, that's actually helping improve their gut as well. There's a lot of other interventions I'll go deeper in the weeds in, into in a minute, but any any thoughts on that, Sandra, that I can go deeper into? Gosh, so many, but I'm I'm just fascinated by that connection, the the real, very real connection between the brain and the gut. And if the gut is not healthy, we're gonna see that in in behaviors um beyond just a stomach ache, right? There's so many things that come into play here. Yes, absolutely. Some other things you might want to think about. In this literature, we've talked about alexithymia before, mm -hmm. but there is some evidence that talks about elevated levels of alexithymia may be linked with more gut health issues and unhealthy dietary practices. So just to remind your audience what alexithymia is, emotional blindness, it's when someone has a hard time naming 
labeling, processing, making sense of emotion. So if you're a parent to a child with alexithymia, that child will probably have a hard time coming to you and naming their emotions when they're really upset or anxious. They may come to you and say, my stomach hurts, my head hurts, I feel really warm. It comes out of those body-based complaints. Mm -hmm. So when you study this topic too, truly understand alexithymia and I encourage your audience to go back and listen to that segment we did together. I'm a major fan of neurocounseling interventions. So that's the infusion of neuroscience into counseling or therapy. So finding a therapist who also uses neuroscience approaches can be very, very helpful in identifying with that client or family problematic habits that could be contributing to ongoing mood or gut health issues, and really looking at lifestyle factors too within that fa family system, because there's a host of lifestyle factors that can either positively or negatively mm -hmm. influence the gut and the brain. Lifestyle factors that are talked about in the mental health arena, financial stability, so helping that family develop more financial stability if possible. Getting out in nature more has been talked about to improve mental health, but also gut health. So if you're one that's always cooped up in your house and you never get outside and get fresh air, that's a practical intervention. I'm not advocating for you to go and buy a dog, but there's mm -hmm. some literature that owning a pet can help improve immune system functioning and it can be good for our mental health. It could be something to look into. Fascinatingly, too, in the mental health arena, lifestyle factors that could exacerbate more problematic outcomes is if somebody is extremely materialistic. They're always wanting to buy the next thing. They're only motivated by money. Another practical strategy is helping people reduce materialism and maybe put more stock into people, volunteering, giving back, being okay with not having all the money in the world, reducing screen time exposure, another practical intervention strategy, working mm -hmm. with a nutritionist. I'm not telling you what to eat, but again, I'll say from the general research literature, if people eat processed foods, the Western diet, lots of candy, lots of sugar, energy drinks, sugar-sweetened beverages, that's been linked with lots of health problems, including mental health and gut-brain health issues. Social isolation makes it worse. Mm -hmm. Practically speaking, helping that family or child get into a network where they can feel known and valued and heard. Maybe it's church. Maybe it's a support group. Maybe it's something online. And being proactive, too, in monitoring your health risk factors, going to the dentist, getting a yearly physical, exercising, re reducing sedentary behaviors. These are all just practical strategies talked about kind of in the literature. Yeah. And again, I, I feel I just see where it's the whole body approach. It's the mind. It's the physical body. It's what we're eating. It's, um, you know, being out in the community, exercise. Um, all of those things, the, the, the spiritual aspect of it, all of it comes into play. And when all of those areas are healthy, um, I would assume that the gut brain health, you know, the gut brain connection would be healthy. Um, 
things that we sometimes don't take for granted because it's such a big part of, you know, life in our culture, right? The, the fast food, the sugary beverages, just the lifestyle, that fast paced lifestyle that we all live um, definitely is not helping um, us to, 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 to be healthy or maintain good health. I agree hundred yeah. percent holistically looking at this. So what you think about what you eat, who you associate with has a lot to do with how, how we feel, what we watch, what we read. So there's a holistic mind body approach. Wow. It's so fascinating. And I know, I know that mom with the, with the little girl and they monitor her, they did a bunch of testing and they discovered she had a food allergy to eggs, which the family ate a lot of. Um, and, you know, I don't really know how that typically presents an allergy to eggs would present in the body, but the family had no idea until some testing came back revealing that there was an egg allergy. Um, so what would happen in a, a, a situation like that, where there's an allergy, a food allergy, but the child or the individual is consuming that food, not knowing it's an allergy, what kind of effect would that have on the brain? Makes the gut worse. It can trigger a low-grade inflammatory response. Um, I am in a, another master's degree program in nutrition right now. I'm not giving nutrition advice, but hopefully when I'm done with that program, I'll be able to speak with more confidence on this. But if there is an undiagnosed food allergy, food sensitivity, and it could even be to something extremely healthy that's good for you, and you may not know that. I know people that eat spinach and then they got a food allergy test and they were somewhat sensitive to spinach. Even if it's good for you, your body may have a reaction to it, which can throw off the gut. It can impact our hormones. It can impact our mood. In an ideal world, every child in the foster care arena would be tested for food allergies. Their gut microbiome would be tested their blood sugar levels would be monitored to see if there's some imbalances there. Getting a sleep study. I mean, these are all just practical things that are clearly supported in the literature, but are really not a, not incorporated into wide stream practices nationwide. But if you can optimize those things, rule out any kind of things that could be affecting that child, you're going to be in a much better position. What kind of formula that child eats? could play a role here. Are they sensitive to dairy? Look at the research on just lactose intolerance. So many people have a lactose sensitivity or full-blown lactose intolerance as well. Wow. Yeah, there is so much, um, so many interventions and things that you listed, but let's foster and adopted parents, very full plates, trying to navigate so many things, probably aren't stopping to think about the brain gut health situation there. So what, Jared, what would be say the top three things that a parent or caregiver should be paying attention to, or should be doing to help support their kiddos, whether or not they realize that this is really something that could be going on. What's the sleep pattern like? Is sleep most optimized? If you're noticing patterns where that child is not sleeping well, which is going to be very common among kids with a neurodevelopmental disorder, kids with attachment problems, kids that have been from foster care placement to foster care placement, rule out sleep issues, work with a sleep specialist. I, 
I mean no disrespect by this, but if a child had a lot of trauma in their history, could they have been unfortunately hit in the head repeatedly and now have a head injury or broken bones in their nose, which could contribute to maybe obstructive sleep apnea, ruling out any sleep disordered breathing? There's some literature in the autism and or sorry, it's in the ADHD and the oppositional defiant disorder literature, where it kind of encourages folks, if a child is presenting with a lot of behavioral problems, before jumping to the conclusion and giving them that diagnosis, have you ruled out a sleep disorder? And have you ruled out any obstructive breathing issues? And some studies have found, if you test for those things, and they do have obstructive sleep breathing and sleep issues and you treat that, those behavioral problems will way, way down. So sleep, I can't stress enough, mm -hmm. focus on sleep. Number two, again, what you put in your body, how much you eat, what you eat, when you eat, overeating, not good, Undereating, not good. Meal skipping can be problematic because if that child skips meals every single day, they go to school, that can throw up blood sugar levels, that can mimic more hyperactivity issues, fatigue problems. Again, not given any nutritional advice, but really taking a look with a qualified healthcare provider, what you're eating. Mm -hmm. And part of that, kind of what you alluded to, is ruling out some food sensitivities, food allergies, where you could work with a qualified nutrition specialist, dietitian, functional medicine provider, maybe rule that out. The, the third one, and there's a close tie with so many things, but I would say learning about blood sugar dysregulation. Hmm. The research shows that blood sugar, optimizing our blood sugar levels is one of the best things we can do to help our mood. So have you ever skipped a meal or gone all day long, go, 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 because you have tons of meetings and the only thing you're consuming, maybe it's a candy bar or something mm -hmm. from a vending machine and you're drinking lots of coffee all day long. Absolutely, your blood sugar levels are off. So if, you, if someone does that, typically our blood sugar levels would dip, which would be hypoglycemia. And why do you want to care about that? Because if we have low blood sugar levels, we have less glucose circulating in our blood. Glucose is the fuel for our brain. So our brain needs that fuel to have good mm -hmm. self-control. I do a lot of work in the area of forensics, and I wrote a mini book chapter on this. You will find numerous studies that talk about low blood sugar levels could play a role in, few, in some instances of homicide, domestic violence, arson. Now, by no means am I saying that with this audience, but you will find a lot of studies that show that low blood sugar levels can make people way more moody, irritable, depressed, angry, anxious. So optimizing blood sugar levels would be the third one. It makes me think of that term hangry, right? We've all That's experienced exactly right. that if we haven't eaten all day and we're hungry and we're cranky and mm -hmm. So there's that, that's, that's a literal example of what this can look Ooh. like. Wow. Without a doubt. Yeah. You said there was a close tie there. So what would number four be if you had to pick it? <laughs> well, I think anytime you can optimize skin health, dental health, there's big connections between our dental health and gut health and skin health. 
exercising, again, talking to a qualified exercise specialist, staying hydrated. I can't count how many people I know that never drink water, mm. including family members of mine. And like they're, they're, I think they're probably dealing with chronic low-grade dehydration. So that can impact our hormones, that can impact our gut. So again, just looking at from a, a whole mind, body, head to toe, what we do, what we think, who we hang out with, what we eat, how much we're moving or the lack thereof, and just do a complete health and wellness inventory of head to toe, look around your surroundings, your lifestyle practices. And I'm not saying do major overhauls, but maybe it's just one small change you can make every day. Mm. Maybe it's having one one carrot a day. I mean, starting small or one less cigarette or one less energy drink or one more cup of, or one more glass of water, starting very small, very practical or getting off the computer five minutes earlier than you normally do, but build on that little by little every day. And before you know it, a few months from now, you look back and you can see that you made some major progress. Wow, such fascinating information. Um, Dr. Brown, do you where could our listeners go to get more information? Do you have a website? Where can we find you to learn more? They, you can give my email. If they Google my name, you can find probably a well over a hundred different podcasts I've done with different groups all over the world, YouTube, there's all kinds of stuff. And I can send you some handouts and resources too if folks email me on a lot of these topics. And I do a lot of trainings for professional groups and consultation on these topics too. And so again, if you're working with someone that's had trauma in their histories, the research absolutely supports understanding the gut, optimizing the mm -hmm. gut can play a huge role in helping that person thrive. And of course, I always bring it back to the FASD because so many of our listeners, including myself, we have kiddos who of course have trauma histories, but also that prenatal exposure to alcohol. So how does that play into the brain gut health? Yeah, there's some studies now coming out showing that yes, prenatal alcohol exposure and the gut can be off. And it's probably it's probably two reasons. You got the in utero exposure to alcohol that can damage parts of the brain. It can impact our hormone, our receptors. It can impact the whole body. But then when the child's born, depending on a variety of factors, again, I consult on cases where they usually come to me when things are really bad. So my brain is skewed looking at kind of the most extreme cases. But the cases I've consulted on in the person's had FASD, impulse control issues is a big factor yeah. around eating. Sugar is a huge issue for folks with FASD, and you will find some studies on this. People with FASD, not everyone, everyone's different, just the cases I've consulted on, sometimes go to the extreme with overeating, but mm -hmm. I've seen it the other way too. They may not eat much at all. And I think that's probably something with the prenatal alcohol exposure. So those are a few things to keep in mind. Promoting good self-control is another critical and practical intervention to really focus on, not just with folks with FASD, but really any child in the foster care adoption arena, teaching people how to be more patient and calm and reflective. You're really helping them enhance 
executive function, metacognition, and they'll probably feel better, make better decisions, and live longer, the research says. If you have better self-control throughout your life, you're going to probably live longer. Fascinating. So the the um, the FASD question made me, when we were talking about nutrition, made me think of this because I have heard that some of some individuals with FASD, um, they don't recognize that they're hungry or on the opposite end of that, they don't recognize that they're full because they're their brain isn't receiving that message from their stomach that they're either hungry or they're full. So there could be that overeating and undereating. Is that a thing? Is that really accurate information? Yeah, you probably want to look into ghrelin and leptin. Those are hormones related to that. So you want to understand the hormone factor because prenatal alcohol exposure or any kind of exposure to substances in utero can, can impact hormone functioning or HPA access, the hypothalamus, pituitary adrenal access, which is a hormone regulator, has a lot to do with all of this. But ghrelin and leptin are two hormones that are talked about related to hunger and the switch being turned on and off in our brain. If you take FASD out of the equation and plop in childhood trauma, you will find lots of studies in the childhood trauma literature that point to the fact that people with extreme histories of childhood trauma may be at way greater risk as adults to be overweight and obese, partially because of those chemicals in their body and brain are not communicating effectively. There's other factors too, but th those are variables to consider. Wow, fascinating. Um, as we wrap up, Dr. Brown, any last thoughts that you want to share with our listeners? A lot to take in, obviously. Chunk it out. Start reading some articles. You'll find numerous good videos on YouTube about this. Reach out to me. I'll send you some other podcasts I've done on this. Consult with other professionals. And if you get the time, go back and look at some of those other episodes that Sandra and I did together because some of the topics I talked about today we had some episodes focused solely on some of those variables that we get a little bit deeper in the weeds on. And I know it's a lot to ask. It's a lot to take in. But if once you understand all these moving parts, it really changes your perspective on human health. And the light bulb goes on and it can help you make much more informed decisions around optimizing brain and body health. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I know we have, we can point our listeners back to those episodes. We did a bunch of bonus episodes, covered all kinds of topics. They were some of our most, they've been some of our most downloaded episodes um, of our podcast. So we hope that folks, if you haven't caught them, they can. Um, fascinating information as always, Dr. Brown. We'll make sure we put uh, a link to your email in the show notes for this episode. So our listeners can find you if they do have questions or are looking for any other resources. But again, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us and for being with us today. You're welcome. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, everyone. Reach out anytime. Thank you. Wow. What a wealth of information and knowledge. I hope that you were able to um, catch uh, all of what Dr. Jared Brown said, I was taking notes feverishly. So you probably saw the top of my head more than you saw my face in this episode. Um, always a bunch of notes when Dr. Jared Brown speaks. Um, so if you didn't catch it all, it's a podcast. You can go back and listen to it again um, with your notebook and take some notes. And I hope you do check out those other episodes 
Um, if you scroll back through our library of episodes, uh, many of them are, are labeled uh, bonus episodes uh, with Dr. Jared Brown. So you'll be able to find them, but we did over 20 episodes over the past couple of years with Dr. Brown on various topics. Um, so informative. And like I said, there's some of our best, uh, most downloaded uh, episodes. So you'll definitely want to check those out if you haven't already and re-listen to this one. Um, but when you listen to anything, whenever Mr. Whenever Dr. Brown's the guest, you'll want a notebook um, because there will be lots of notes that you'll want to take. So um, super excited about that. Um, grateful to have you with us today. Um, hope you were feeling a little educated and encouraged by our conversation with Dr. Jared Brown. Um, and of course, in addition to educating and encouraging you, we love to equip you um, for your parenting journey. I'm a mom of two teenagers with FASD, um, adopted uh, internationally. I'm also a certified facilitator of the FACETS Neurobehavioral Model. I get it. I understand how challenging this parenting journey can be. Um, and that's why I'm so um, passionate about providing resources and supports to parents and caregivers, because I didn't have that. There wasn't anything really out there when our boys got their FASD diagnosis. Um, and I want to make sure that we're providing those resources um, to parents and caregivers because they're vital um, to, to our parenting journeys. Um, along with that, last year, I had the opportunity to work with Focus on the Family by doing uh, partnering with them for some FASD training. I wrote um, a cornerstone article, which is a very in-depth article about fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, went out to uh, Focus and recorded some video modules of me teaching, which are a companion to the article. Um, so if you would like to learn more or read that article, see those videos, um, we have them a link to that content on my personal website, which is sandraflack.com. Um, you can go there, you can find it. Um, I also blog, we just put up another blog post. I've been doing uh, blog posts on each symptom of FASD. So you can check those out there. You could also go to Focus on the Family and search Focus on the Family, Sandra Flack, FASD, and you'll find all of those articles. Um, and of course, I have the parent coaching and the FASD training and our support group. You can learn about all of that and access that information um, and, and sign up for those uh, different resources on our website, which again is justicefororphansny.org. Link in the show notes. Dr. Brown's email will be in the show notes as well. We're at the end. If you enjoyed the show, again, please subscribe, leave a review. Be sure to find and follow us on social media. Justice for Orphans is on both Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Um, I, myself, Sandra Flack, are on all of those platforms as well. You can find and follow me there too. And I am grateful uh, that you spent your valuable time with me today. I'm grateful to have you along for the journey. We'll see you again next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast. Brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.